0: Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while you're waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. This is a special series, a field guide for Christian leaders. We're reaching back over 1,500 years to bring you a leadership classic from St. Gregory the Great, a week-by-week look at timeless wisdom from the past. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Frontispiece, Preface, Introduction, and Initiatory Concepts I'll admit I have no business taking on a project like this. But in my defense, I'm a Christian and a leadership geek, and that's initially what drew me to this piece. I've just started, and already I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, I love the Lord, and I love the Church, and along the way in life, I ran into C.S. Lewis's advice to read old books. Now, that kindled in me a love for the early Church Fathers. For some reason, I've been drawn to the 4th, 5th, and 6th centuries, and St. Basil will always be one of my favorites. Well, somehow, I stumbled across a work by St. Gregory the Great. This is probably the right time to introduce him. The first thing you need to know is that I count him as a friend and mentor. Christianity clearly teaches that Gregory and I are brothers in Christ, and he's part of that great cloud of witnesses spoken of in Hebrews. Yes, we're separated by 1,500 years. We have huge cultural differences, a language barrier, and yet we know the same Lord. Reading his stuff has been an incredible benefit to me in my own growth. Gregory, before he held the titles of saint, or the great, was a pretty remarkable man. By the time he was 33, he was the prefect of Rome. Now, at that time, the capital of the empire was in Constantinople, but Rome was still a prominent, dominant force. And being prefect put Gregory in a unique position of secular power. Prefect? Well, think governor, mayor, king, emperor, el jefe, big kahuna. It's an incredibly powerful role, and we don't have anything like it in our culture today. So he believed that his work was a God-given role, and he took that seriously. One writer has claimed that Gregory made every effort to ensure financial integrity, and because of that, he invented the principles of accounting long before accounting existed as a discipline. So when Gregory became Pope at the age of 50, he was reluctant he felt unworthy. Now, let me say a few words for any Protestants out there. This was a long time before the Protestant Reformation, and a long time before the schisms and divisions that plagued the church. At this point, the church was essentially one, and the nature of Christianity had had really been settled. So despite your post-Reformation mindset, give Gregory a chance. He doesn't really need anyone to defend him, but one commentator Riley, noted that uh, John Calvin himself viewed St. Gregory as the last good pope. Now, admittedly, Calvin had a bit of a bias, but it's worth noting that he had very high regard for Gregory. This series is based on a work that Gregory called The Pastoral Rule, a work that Gregory felt compelled to write shortly after he became pope. He felt like God was pushing him to write it. Now, I came across it a few years ago, and as I read it, I realized this is really a timeless message. I shared it with a good friend of mine, and he said, How is this not required reading for everyone? Well, I agree, but here's the problem. This was originally written in Latin, so the language is, well, impenetrable. And even the English translations are pretty complex. For most of us, a work like this is not on our radar. Maybe this format will help. Well, I had to address the title. Yeah, pastoral rule is fine, but it really doesn't describe it very well, particularly for contemporary ears. Neither does the original Latin title, Liber Regularis. I didn't want the title to be a hurdle in itself, so I had to make a change. Here's what I'm using. A field guide for Christian leaders. Well, it is that. The work is divided into four books. Book one addresses the question, who is cut out to be a leader? This one runs 11 chapters. Book two explores all the potential pitfalls that a leader can face and helps leaders to stay in their role without crashing and burning. This book also runs 11 chapters. Book three is about all the people you will have to lead and meet along the way, and how you have to teach and correct them. This piece is remarkable because St. Gregory has an incredible depth of understanding of human nature. No surprise, this one is much longer, at 40 chapters. Some of those chapters are quite long, and they might have to be broken into two or three episodes. You know, Book four is a friendly, personal, and almost casual summary one chapter, and trust me, it's worth the wait. So each book will be released as a separate season here at Great Ridge Station. That means the full release will take about a year and a half. So what can you expect? Well, in each episode, I'll provide some introductory comments so that you have the context you need for each chapter. You know, we're crossing back over 1500 years when we reach back to St. Gregory, and there are some things that need a little background. And don't worry, we'll get you there. For most episodes, um, I'll include what I call the Lexeme of the Day. And now, the Lexeme of the Day. St. Gregory has a very different, very robust vocabulary for discipleship, teaching, and correction. My goal is to bring back some of the words that people used to understand and take for granted. I'll make every effort to keep his work clear and accessible, but as I work through this material, it became pretty obvious that we've lost a lot of core ideas that relate to helping people thrive and grow to maturity. I want to take the time to put those ideas back into your vocabulary. I'll introduce them one at a time as we go, but I'll also include them in a glossary in the ebook version. Yep, they are that important. The Field Guide for Christian Leaders. Next, I'll give you my paraphrase of St. Gregory's chapter in the Field Guide. This is the core bit of each episode Gregory's ideas. Phrased so that they will be understandable and useful in our day and yes you heard me right this is a paraphrase of his work well why a paraphrase i went to a state university for my undergrad degree (laughs) so i was not required to learn latin or greek or hebrew and so like most people who earned a bachelor's degree over the last couple of generations the academics were pretty lame dumbed down commercially relevant Now, to be fair, what I did learn was how to read and understand difficult texts in English. I'm a bit embarrassed by my inept undergrad education, and it bothers me that I have to do a paraphrase rather than a translation. But I'm slowly getting over that. It helped when I learned that Gregory himself knew Latin, but didn't know Greek or Hebrew. And evidently, he was a little embarrassed by that too, so hey, I'm in good company. That fact about Gregory is actually important because it gives his work a distinct character. Gregory was not able to read the biblical texts in their original languages. He used a Latin translation that, well, had a few quirks. Now, in most places, it makes no difference whatsoever, but there are places in the Old Testament where a word gets translated differently. This shows up most clearly in Book 3, Chapter 11. In most modern translation, there's a word there that's translated as owl or some other bird. Gregory's Latin translation uses the word urchin. Because of how he uses the term, I kept his wording. But I did paraphrase urchin to hedgehog, and I have to admit, I had to look it up. Because when I hear the word urchin, hedgehog is not the first thing that comes into my mind. Well, now it does. The translation that Gregory used went from the original Hebrew to Greek and then from Greek to Latin. So, Gregory and I have the same problem. We're both limited by our inability to read the original version. Uh, Some of you may be tempted to go to the old lie that the Bible has a lot of mistranslations. Well, not so fast. None of the differences I found had any impact on the overall meaning of the text. Just a few minor quirks of word choice. Remember, at that time, there was no such thing as a professional translator. Everyone was an amateur, with different levels of training and different levels of expertise. More recent translations, now I mean anything newer than maybe 1,200 years old, those are remarkably consistent, and we're finding agreement in older and older copies of the originals. So I won't go into the credibility of the original texts, there are way smarter people than me who have done work on that. But I will say this. The Eastern Orthodox Church has said that they preserve the original text of the Bible. And you know, my inclination is to give them credit for that. God used them to ensure that the original works of Scripture were accurately passed down to us. A couple of other things you ought to know. When Gregory cites a piece of Scripture, it's from memory. And it's not like, oh, that's in John 10.10 most of the books of the Bible were not divided into chapters and verses for 600 to 800 years later, so he quotes the the pieces that he refers to word for word. An earlier translator of Gregory's work dropped in the scripture references for our convenience, and I've retained them and whenever possible I've quoted a modern translation to make the meaning clearer. There are two other technical points. First, there's a different numbering method used for psalms in the Eastern and Roman Catholic tradition versus the Protestant tradition. In most places, the numbering is off by one because Psalm 18 appears as two psalms in the Eastern and Roman Catholic scriptures. Now, as a guy who loves the psalms, I have lamented this difference many times, but there it is. I've used the Protestant numbering of the Psalms in this work, and I did that out of respect for my own Christian tradition, but please hear this. I mean no disrespect to our Catholic and Orthodox brethren. I simply had to make the call, one way or another. Now second, if you are from the Protestant Christian tradition, please hear me. Do not be surprised that Gregory quotes from what we call the apocryphal books of the Old Testament. The church had long recognized their value, but they also recognized that they were not inspired as the same way as other books of scripture. Augustine argued that they should be included, but included with that caveat. They've always been valued as useful teaching tools, even if they're not doctrinally binding so i would urge you to give gregory a bit of grace on this when he quotes them he's drawing from the words of scripture that he had memorized he would have understood the distinction but he clearly didn't care just hear what he has to say one of the challenges that i faced was courage did i have the guts to let gregory speak for himself i hope so but it was not always easy He says some things that made me nervous. He clearly does not think like someone from our century or our millennium. I don't always agree with him, so if you don't like it, don't blame me. I'm just trying to represent him faithfully. I've tried not to tone down the words about God's judgment and condemnation. Gregory, like other faithful Christians, recognizes that he is saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. He reminds us of what we have been saved from. Some of this may sound all hellfire and brimstone, but please hear Gregory's love behind his words. Gregory would probably be mortified to think that Christians are not used to the words and ideas that he shares. In our day, we kind of take a flippant, the law doesn't apply to me, approach to the Bible. Gregory patiently reminds us that there are ways that we can trample on the grace of God and perhaps find our hearts hardened and out of the reach of that grace. Now, that sentence almost certainly frustrates Calvinists, and Arminians ought not pat themselves on the back. These are fearful truths, and they are the clear teaching of Scripture. And I think that's probably the gist of what you need to know about the field guide portion of each episode and now it's time to stand before the mirror of truth I'll follow that with some concluding comments and an opportunity to check the status of your own heart right now I'm calling it the mirror of truth I originally wanted to call it the Repentance Corner, but one of my technical advisors, okay, was my wife, she said that might be a little too harsh. I think she was right. So, I backed down from that, but I still want you to face some of these challenging ideas and look at your own heart in light of the material that St. Gregory presents. You know, if this is the solid food teaching of the Gospel, well... Then this made me realize the poverty of our own spiritual diet these days. With every sentence, I became more and more convicted of my own sin. This project was hard work, not because the words were difficult or the ideas were challenging, but because it laid me open and defenseless before God. My initial plan was to release this in chunks as I worked on it, I scrapped that plan and felt that I needed to complete the full text before releasing any part of it. I felt that my own integrity demanded it. If I may be so transparent, though, there was another factor at play. When I completed the first chunk, Chapter 1, I found myself convicted by the words of my friend Gregory. I found myself having to respond to God, to beg for His mercies, and thank Him for His grace. This is why I've chosen to complete the whole thing before I started recording. I do not want to be derailed. The fact that you're reading this tells me that I have finished the race, fought the good fight, as Paul put it. This was simply too important to leave half done. And as I neared the end of the process, Gregory himself assured me that this was the right decision. Seriously, it's in there. It's in Book 3. The question for you, as a reader, listener, whatever this is all the same. Will you finish this book? Will you let the Holy Spirit speak to you, teach you, and correct you? Do you have the courage to see the process through to the end? And then, do you have the courage to listen and read it again and again, and let it refine you? Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. The paraphrase of St. Gregory's work, along with supporting content, was developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson. As always, our sound engineer is Brick Martin. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River, and the closing music is from Javier Cugat, Brazil. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Stay with us on this, we're eagerly awaiting your next visit to Great Ridge Station.